And today, the message is just a greater vision for all. There's a, you know, there's a different realms of vision that we can talk about, but I want to talk about the overall heavenly vision that Paul refers to in Acts, the 26th chapter. So open your Bibles this morning, and our keynote verse is going to be Acts 26, verses 18 and 19. Acts 26, verses 18 and 19. I want to go there. I'm going to read. This is Paul before King Agrippa. He has come under uh, capture, and he is speaking to him. And it's very powerful what Paul says about vision. I'm going to begin reading there in verse 18. He says, To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, the heavenly vision that God gave to the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's the most prolific of the New Testament writers. Was a vision, a heavenly vision of simply the gospel message. And look, I'm going to read it again, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. They might receive forgiveness of sins. Wow. And an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. The same faith that's in Paul is what he's referring to. It doesn't emanate from him, but uh, ultimately it comes from God. So as, as we look at that, we can see clearly the greater vision to all that we do. The overarching vision that all visions need to bow down to and submit and conform to is the vision of winning the lost. Can I get an Amen. And whatever your vision is, and, and whatever the church vision, because there are different degrees of vision for our lives. You know, we, I've got a vision for myself. I've got a vision for my family and children, obviously. I've got a vision for uh, occupationally or vocationally, uh, a vision of where I want to go and where I want to be and what I want to do. I've got a vision for the church that, you know, when I say I've got it, that I've received from the Lord, it isn't mine. I, you know, I, I have to receive those things from the Lord just like everybody else for every component of my life. But then how many people ever talk about a vision for the kingdom of God and are kingdom-minded? Many times we, we're very much about our vision and, and you know, how God's going to make me better and self-improvement and, you know, late-night infomercials and how, you know, to have your best life or whatever. And, and, and that's great and that's good, but that's very entry-level, that's very juvenile, that's very beginner-ish. We've got to go way beyond that. And sure, we should have a vision for ourselves. That's so basic. That's so, I mean, that, that's kindergartenish. Yes, we have a vision for ourselves. Uh, but it should go way beyond that. It should go to our family uh, if we have a business, and especially to our church and the kingdom of God. We, we've, we've got to have vision for all these things. And the overarching vision should be the kingdom of God. And everything that has to do with our vision, our family, our business, our church, has to be subordinated to the kingdom of God. In other words, it has to come second. We need to be big picture first and, you know, macro first, micro second. And, and big picture, when, when we get involved in the overarching vision, all the other visions will start coming into line. And I think many people, they put the vision for their own self over and it becomes the overarching vision that all the others have to fit into. But, you know, it, in most cases, I would say you just need to reverse that. That once you get a vision for soul winning, 
then the vision for the church starts coming into focus. The vision for your vocation and what, you know, God sends you out into the world every day, not to make money, but he sends us into all the world to preach the gospel. Can I get an amen? It isn't like we're just sent to work every day. You know, God could have taken us on to heaven the moment we got saved, but he wanted to keep us here to do a work. He doesn't want us to, you know, close the door after we come into the kingdom. He wants us to stand at the door and make it available for others to come in. But many times what we do is we place the vision for our own life, and then we try to fit underneath our little vision, the bigger vision of family, occupation, church, and the kingdom of God. And I'll and I tell you what, this little vision, when you try to get all those other things underneath it, it just doesn't work. You'll never fit those other things in. But if you'll get a vision for the kingdom of God, God will make room for a vision for church. He'll make room for the vision for your occupation, for your family, and for your life. You know, the vision was to build the ark. And you know, that's where he built the altar. There was an altar as a result of building that ark. There was a plan for the family as a result of building that ark. There was a plan for the future because all those sons of Noah became the head of nations. And then there was a vision for Noah to become uh, the, the one who was the steward of all that God had in this world, all the resources became him. But if he would have says, you know, I just don't want to build that ark because it doesn't fit into my lifestyle. I've got a vision for my life. You know, I'm a farmer over here. I don't have time to build a stupid ark. And don't talk, bother me with this, with this big vision, you know, God, I, I've got a vision. I want to build myself a nice little farm here. I, I want to do my, my thing here. I know the world is filled with violence. I know it's a mess. And I know that, you know, people think only upon evil continually. And, and you know, but, but leave me alone. I, you know, it, it's a nasty world, but I want to have my own little niche. I want to build my own, you know, have my own little farm. I want to have my own little herd of cattle. I want to have my own. And that's my vision for my life, God. And don't bother me with these other things, you know. I don't have time to, but see, but when he put the kingdom of God, the vision, the bigger picture, the macro understanding, all the micro filled in. And, and by golly, I'll tell you what, he, he, they had a great spiritual uh, experience there with that relationship because God made a covenant with that family. I mean, that was church for them. And, and, and they had a job to do that was to save them and, and, and to save the lineage of Christ and to save mankind and And they had a big picture vision. They weren't small-minded little people that were all about themselves. Somebody say amen. And they were the only righteous people on the face of the earth, the Bible says. You know, it's righteous to not have your own thing, your own way all the time, but to give up and say, God, I will submit myself to the bigger, the big picture, the overarching vision, and I will just trust the vision for my church life, the vision for my serving, and they served and they built that ark. Wow, they really served. And they got saved by the thing where they served at. And, 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 it, and, it, and it took care of everything that they had need of in their family, uh, in their kids, in their individual lives, and everything by seeking first the kingdom of God. All these things were added to them. Can I get an Amen. Be big picture first. You know, I, I found this, you know, they, how many have ever seen, I should have done this, and, and I, I kind of forgot until today, but how many have ever seen, we've all seen it before, where a guy comes with a jar, and he's got a, and he's got a whole bunch of sand, and he's got a bunch of good-sized rocks, 
He says, how many of you think we can get this all in the jar? And they take the sand and they, they fill in and the sand fills up the jar halfway. And then they try to put the rocks in and the rocks don't fit. Anybody see anybody do that? And you put the sand in first and then you put the rocks in. Well, they put the little stuff first and then the big stuff came second. The little tiny sand first and it filled up half the jar. And then they tried to put the big rocks that were, you know, as big as a golf ball and maybe almost as big as a lemon or, or something like that. And they tried to put that in there and it just didn't fit. But then when they turned it around and got their priorities right... And they put the big rocks in first and and, and set them all in there. And then when they poured the sand in, the sand fit in around and conformed to and went in all the nooks and the the crannies and and went in and and they got it all in that time. How many of you know life is like that? When we seek the big vision first, when we look at the plan of God for the overall purpose of our life, You may think that job and that little career path of yours is the purpose for your life, but I got news for you. It's not. The purpose for your life is to win souls and to bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ because that's the only thing that has eternal significance. When we understand that, you know what? You'll be very successful in your job and the pursuits that you have for this life. Because God will get all the big rocks in first, but he'll make all your sand fits in there too. Because when we seek first the kingdom of God, we're making Jesus Lord. When we seek first our kingdom, we're making us Lord. When the little sand goes in first, the small-mindedness rules. The big-mindedness, there's no room for big-mindedness. As long as the little sand, the little tiny particle, small-mindedness, small-minded plan for our life goes first, There will never be room for the big-mindedness, the bigger picture, the big God vision type things will never fit into your life. Somebody say amen is right, because it's so true. So we've got to understand, what is the big overarching vision that God has for us as Christians? Not just for my company or my business or my job and and my church, or my family, or my life? What about for my God and the kingdom that he has given to us? What about it? What about the vision for that? Many times I think that gets overlooked in modern church today. I think there's a lot of churches that have become absolute experts at transfer growth. As a matter of fact, they have literally brought it into the realm where it is an art form. And we outdo the church down the street, and we win their allegiance, and they come to our church instead of theirs. But they're not winning souls. Did you know there's not been one, one ounce of church growth in any... That there was a study by Gallup Poll, and there has been zero, zero, L, none, O, <laughs> church growth in any county in the United States of America. Christianity is decreasing. But there's some churches that are growing wildly and many churches that are dying, and some rightly so. Some churches need to die and some churches need to grow. But a lot of it has become just transfer growth and transient. We go over here for a while and you know, they got a good praise and worship leader over here now and it's all hip and we're little hipsters over here and it's cool. And, but you know, after five years, we're tired of here. You know, we're not growing. And you know, the, the, you know, the, the pep talk from the life coach just isn't doing it anymore. I need some. And they suddenly realize how empty they are. And so they run down to the next church 
where, where you know, they like the way the, the life coach uh, dresses and, and the pep talks are even shorter. So they, they're going to go to that one. And, and they run around like, you know, little mice running from one place to another and trying to find some significance in their life and, and back and forth. And, and let me tell you something, church transfer growth has literally become an art form. I mean, people have gotten so good at enticing people out of one church into their church uh, that, that it really does. And nobody's, and hardly anyone is really winning souls. Because it's the vision to grow my church. It's not the vision to grow the kingdom of God with real conversions. Grow my church with transfer growth, and we become experts at that. And, and man, we bring in Darf. I mean, nobody can beat our music. Nobody can beat our, you know, our coffee bar. Nobody can beat our, our, our kids' concert downstairs and our pep talks and our life coach. And, and nobody can one-ups us, buddy. We're, we're the most hip church, and, and we're going to get everybody. But, but they're not getting anybody saved. Wow, God's really impressed. You got them out of Joe's church into your church or whatever. But that doesn't that isn't cut it. That's not the vision of the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen. The kingdom of God is to win souls. Let me read the vision again. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith, that is, in me. God's vision is for people to literally, I remember when I was freed from Satan unto God. I know the day that I went from darkness to light. I know the day my sins were forgiven. That was a real event in my life. Not just the day that I yeah, left that church for this church. Not the day that I just casually went forward and you know, said a prayer and said, well, I got my fire insurance. I'm signed up. No, I know the day that I went from darkness to light. I went from the control of Satan to the control of God. I know the day that I laid down my life and said, it's no longer mine. Do with it whatever you want, God. I remember that. I can pinpoint that, and it hasn't changed. See, this is what God is calling us to do. That's the greater vision that will make all the other vision for your life come into line is when we start doing that on the behalf of the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? So all visions, all levels of vision are to be subordinated to the higher vision. You know, I, I, you know, don't allow the thing, you know, when we were, you know, let, let me tell you how you could have a conflict in vision. You know, I had, when I was early on, I could feel that conflict in vision between God's vision and my vision. You know, we got uh, done in, in uh, Kentucky, and we moved back home, and God spoke to us, and everything that has ever happened to us in ministry came to us. We didn't have to go seek it. Everything that came to us in ministry, God told me in advance exactly everything that would happen, and it all happened exactly like he told me. The first church, God spoke to me and says, there will be a uh, church, and you'll go there for two years, and then another church will approach you to go and be the pastor of that church after two years, and you're to go do that. After two years where we're at, is a little, more, little over two years, we got approached by another church, and we were in Indianapolis, Indiana, and God spoke to me clearly that that would happen. It all happened exactly like he said. We went, and we candidated for that church, and we got uh, every single vote but one, and he was a, a criminal, and, and he was stealing from the church and didn't want anybody to come in and stop his little uh, party 
of stealing and, and just destroying the church. So we went down there, and we pastored for two years, and the Lord says, now, after two years, you'll move back home. And Dan Barry, pastor of uh, the church in Des Moines, Cornerstone Family Church will come to you and tell you about a church that's open, and that is the church that I want you to take. Well, that's exactly what happened. He came, he told me about this church and that it was open. But another church came open, too. How many of you know God will always bring an Ishmael along that you can get in confusion with and not follow uh, your Isaac? A church in Des Moines came up. And this church was bigger, it was more beautiful, had a nicer building, had more people, it had a lot more money, it had a better praise and worship team, and everything was, about it was perfect because we wanted to live in Des Moines, not Oskaloosa. <laughs> and and they voted us unanimous. They voted us here unanimous. And then we had to decide, which one are we going to take? Well, my visitors go to Des Moines, I mean, there's more opportunity. Bigger town, more money, nicer building. Of course, a lot of you didn't see the building when we first moved in here. It wasn't very pretty. I had one leadership in my organization, major leader say, are you sure you want to go to that church? It's very small. Very, you know, the building is very nice. And, you know, the vision would be, gosh, for, for my life, for my career, for my career <clears throat> advancement, my career path, I should go to Des Moines. That's my vision. But you know what God's vision was? Go to Oskaloosa. Go to Oskaloosa. God spoke that very clear. And we saw this building, and it was painted a funny color green. I mean, it was scary looking. And Julie and I saw it. And we said, no, we've got the wrong address. Look again. I can remember driving out of town that day saying, you know, I gave her all the reasons why we need to go to Des Moines. Then I said, so where do you think we're supposed to go? And we both said at this basically the same time, we're supposed to be in Oskaloosa. See, that is when you understand that there's a greater vision that God has uh, there's a lot more important than the vision you have for yourself. Amen. Somebody say that. And it isn't just for pastors to have to do that. Right. Brother Hagen tells a really interesting story about a man who was very successful. I can't remember if he was a banker or what he was, but he, he lived and he went to the church where Brother Hagen was pastor. And suddenly this great job opportunity came up in another town. And he comes and says, Pastor, he says, we got to move. We're moving. Job came up. It's a better job than I have here. And we're going to move to this other town. And Brother Hagin says, well, is there a good church in that town? He goes, well, no, there isn't any, you know, good, you know, word, charismatic, full gospel, you know, Pentecostal, whatever you want to call it. He says, well, they they really don't have one of those type of churches in that town. He says, is there anyone anywhere close? He says, well, really, there isn't. It's really more than uh, probably driving this. but But we'll be fine. We'll be fine. And he said, you know, I, I, really, I really feel like I'm supposed to go because I feel like, you know, that's my career path. I need, I need this better job. I need to go to the next level for me. And Brother Hagin knew it wasn't right. He tried to talk him out of it. And the guy could, could not be persuaded. He said, you know, and finally he, he packed up. He moved to that other town, hoping everything's be, and, and there wasn't a good church there. 
And you know, when you're at this level, God, God's not going to send you back down to this level church. You know, this carnal church is with carnal pastors for carnal people. And there's spiritual churches with spiritual pastors for spiritual people. And when you, when you bail out on, on what God has assigned you to, and you go to something that's not God at all, and you put your job over your church, and God does move people, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, God moves people. But this guy, before it was all said and done, he got into an affair, he lost his wife, he lost his kids, all became complete reprobates. He lost his job and basically ended up losing his life. It went down, 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 down. Everything that could be destroyed in his life was destroyed. Because he didn't seek first the kingdom of God. Oh, he sought first his little kingdom. He sought first his agenda. He sought first what was his vision for his life. But he did not seek first the kingdom of God. Let me tell you, you may think that you have control over your life. And that you can be a success without God. Maybe if you're a heathen, but not when you're one of God's children. Can I get an amen? His life was destroyed. Everything he had, he lost. He died miserably bankrupt and with nothing to his name. Because he didn't understand the big picture. Everybody say, the big picture. Our life is not our own. It was bought with a price. We have to obey God. It isn't about me and, and my ego and how big of a church I can build. It's about doing what God has shown me to do. It's the same for you. It's not about how much money you can make, how big of a prestigious title and a prestigious address that you can have. It's about obeying God. But you won't hear this very, very often today in churches because it's all about your best life, not God's best kingdom. Can I get an amen? amen? And we know that when you follow God, it will be your best life. Can I get an amen? But some people take that message and make it about themselves. And I don't think it's preached in that context, but boy, do a lot of people want to take it in that context. It's all about my best life. Well, your best life is when you lay your life down and give it to God. Your best life is when you go do what the the bigger overarching vision is, what Paul said, is to win souls and to be about the Father's business. Boy, you can't convince the culture of that hardly today because they're convinced that I come first, what's left over, I'll give to God. You're a hobby Christian. It's your hobby. It's not the laying down of your life. Job comes first, my, my life and family comes second, and somewhere after everything that I want to do runs out, then we'll try to fit God the sand in somewhere between, you know, you know wherever. And it's just opposite of what God wants. So we, we need to put the things of God first in our lives. So let's go on. I want to say a couple other things. See, when we get those things in, in proper order, God can begin to bless us. Because, you know, God is looking for some stars. How many of you know God was the first one to have a star search? I have never watched that show, but I've heard about it. I'm not kidding. We've never watched. How many of you know what a star search is? Okay, good. I'm glad that you're not watching either, but I've heard about it. 
See, star search is when they get a bunch of young amateurs on a stage and they're looking for somebody who's really great. Uh, but I, you know, what's the, the new one? I think there's a new one similar. American Idol. And it used to be the Ted Mack Amateur Hour. How many are old enough to remember the Ted Mack Amateur Hour? Jerry raised her hand. Paul raised his hand. I raised my hand. Anybody else know the Ted Mack Amateur Hour? And, uh, and they were truly amateurs. And you could tell. And it was fun to watch. And then came along Star Search. And then what's the new one? Did you? American Idol. Oh, there's several. Julie knows. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. <laughs> she doesn't watch that stuff either. But anyway, it, I can feel my IQ go down when I watch those types of things. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it's pretty much garbage in, garbage out. But God is looking for some real stars. Turn with me to Daniel. We're going to go to Daniel, the 12th chapter. I'm going to read out of 26 translations. There's some really cool things. And I want to read what it says in the first few verses. But I want to especially focus on verse 3. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This is powerful. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. The great angel, the great archangel Michael will stand up. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. A time of trouble that there's never been since there's been nations. Nations began with the children of Noah. Noah's sons started the nations. They were the first nations, in case you didn't know that. That's over there in the last part of chapter 10 of Genesis. And, you know, there's been some big trouble. You know, how many of you know Hiroshima had some trouble at one point? How many think that's pretty troubling? How many of you know that the millions of Jews that were slaughtered in Nazi Germany, that was some trouble? How many of you know the dictators of China and communist bloc countries who have slaughtered Idi Amin, who have mass slaughtered people to the tune of millions and millions how many of you know this whole world has seen some trouble? And, and, and Hiroshima has seen some trouble. But the Bible says there's coming a time it's going to make the, let that look like a holiday. That there's a time of trouble coming, such as never has been seen since there's been nations. There is a time coming of such trouble. I read a, pro, Kurt, excuse me, read a prophecy to us the other night. That absolutely made the hair stand up on my neck. Prophecy that's saying that there's things that are going to start happening in the very near future. And we've passed that point of the Shemitah. And you say, well, it didn't happen on the Shemitah. Well, the Shemitah just means that is the beginning point, And after that, the things that are spoken of can begin to happen. And it says that there will be trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. So what are those two things? Well, we're talking first about the great tribulation, a time of trouble such as never been seen before. 
And that is called the Great Tribulation by most scholars. And that, there's a reference to that terminology in the scriptures, the Great Tribulation. And it talks about such as never been seen before in that reference as well as the one in Daniel. And then it says, And then shall thy people be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. There will be a deliverance from that great and terrible tribulation. Now, we could go through some tribulation. We all understand that. But the great tribulation is God pouring out his wrath on a rebellious world. But God's people will be taken out during that time. So we're talking about the great tribulation. And we're talking about the rapture. There's two levels. There's three levels of existence in the last days. One is the miserable going through the great tribulation as a lost person. As many who are on the broad path through the wide gate, the big broad path, wide gate churches who thought they were on their path to heaven, but found out it was really a narrow gate on a narrow path and very few people were on it. That's called a remnant. And people will find that out and they will be in this horrendous, terrible tribulation. And even more horrendous, when the rapture and the great taking away comes, they'll find out that they're not one of God's. They'll have to look in the mirror and recognize that's a goat staring at me, not a sheep. What a great and terrible awakening that will happen to those poor people. And that's going to happen. That's what the Bible says. And many of them sleep in the dust of the earth, shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame. That's the great judgment seat of God. They will sleep in the earth. That's the dead will rise, the Bible says. And they will all receive a new body, some fashioned for heaven and some fashioned for hell, it says in John 5. And they will rise up, and let me read it again, and many of them that sleep, and that's a euphemism for the dead, that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, and that's the resurrection, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's hell. So there's two conditions. There will be those who go through the tribulation, those will be raptured. There will be those on judgment day that will stand to everlasting shame and contempt and then some to everlasting joy and light. But when it's all said and done for the eternal state, we see verse 3. And they that be wise, everybody say wise, he that wins souls is wise. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. I'm going to read it. Let me just read it out of, the, out of the 26 translations. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they shall turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Bright shall be the glory of wise counselors. As the radiance of the sky above, starry bright forever their glory, who have taught many the right way. See, this is the big, this is the overarching vision. Everybody say, this is the overarching vision. This is the plan of God for our lives. And those who are wise, the people of God, shall shine as brightly as the sun's brilliance. And those who turn many to righteousness will glitter like the stars forever. There's your star search. The wise leaders shall shine like the bright vault of heaven. And those who have guided the people in the truth path shall be like the stars forever and ever. I like that, the true path. How many of you like that, the true path? The true path is the narrow path that leads to life, not the broad path that leads to destruction. 
They will be the bright shining. They will not be the majority. They won't be the dumbed down masses. They won't be the churchgoer as usual. They won't be the do nothing and and, and be not involved crowd. They won't be the average, I've got more important things to do. My vision comes before God's. These are going to be very special people that are going to shine forever and forever. Does anybody want to be great in the kingdom of God? Does anybody want to shine in God's kingdom forever? Does anybody believe that delayed gratification really gets its fullest meaning in this? You know, I'm going to allude to a study that I referred to last time I preached. It's a Harvard study. And for 100 years, Harvard University has been studying what is the main characteristic of very well-to-do, very successful people. And in this Harvard study, they found after they studied, you know, they thought, well, was it anything to do with ethnicity? Well, that's about 100 years ago, that idea. Does it have anything to do with education? Well, that's a more recent idea. Does it have anything to do with, you know, how you were raised? And they, and they went through many, 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 many things trying to figure out what, you know, some, some uneducated people are super successful. Some highly educated people, they can't even get a job. Some people that should be making millions end up broke at the end of their life or saving millions. Some people didn't seem like they were making that much money, ended up with millions, And they said the one common denominator to very, very successful people is they were were able to think in terms of planning for the long-distance, big-picture future. And they were able to operate in this big term everybody uses nowadays, delayed gratification, something that they say millennials are in very short supply of. But delayed gratification is you know what, I don't mind saving back $100 a month, $200 a month for my whole life. I'm going to start when I'm 20. I don't mind going through medical school and taking 14 years because I'll end up making five times more than everybody else when I get out. I don't mind putting in the time and serving. I don't mind being a person who saves. I don't mind a person who does the extra. I don't mind if everybody else graduated and got their, you know, $50,000 $50,000 a job, I'm going to go on and get my, my doctorate, or I'm going to go on and do this and, and get my half a million dollar a year job. And It's called delayed gratification. They don't need to be made happy and gratified right now, all the time, the way I want it, when I want it, how I want it. Somebody say amen. They're able to see the big picture. They're able to see the overarching vision. And they're willing to wait on God. Somebody say amen. Amen. Though it tarry, it'll not tarry. It'll come to pass. It'll surely come to pass, the Bible says. How many of you want to operate in a little delayed gratification? And some people, well, and of course Harvard's talking about those people who, who ended up, you know, millionaires. And when they retired, they were worth millions. Or they were talking about those kids that endured 14 years of college and went on to be a doctor. Or maybe a few years less and went on to be a lawyer. 
And, and, and they waited, and, and good things come to them that wait. And, and, and they may, you know, that Harvard University study is talking about delayed gratification. But, but I'm talking about real delayed gratification. I'm talking about it on a whole nother eternal scale. Because you know what? We're going to spend eternity. Trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of years will amount to nothing in eternity for the preparations that we make in these measly little 70, 80, 90 years that we live on earth. Let's talk about delayed gratification. I'm willing to sacrifice my whole life and lay it down to whatever God wants done with it, whether it looks like success or not. I'm, willing, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to lay down my life because I'm willing to accept a delayed gratification of great rewards eternally. How many of you know that's what you call wise? Because the wise will win souls because there may be no, seemingly no great benefit in this life to go to someone who you don't like and you don't even really care about and exercise a God kind of love of concern and help for them to bring them to Jesus Christ. You may see no earthly benefit to that. But let me tell you something. You'll be as a star that shines for eternity. In a world where there's no sin. In a world where God's children will live in mansions. In a, in a city that the Bible says is on the sides of the north. The city of the great king. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. In an eternal place where the streets are made out of gold. And the mansions are made out of diamonds and, and the walls are made out of precious jewels and the gates are made out of pearl. And we have eternity to spend there to rule and reign with God. And some will be put over five cities and some over ten cities. And, and we will rule and reign and we will live eternally. And some will be stars and lights. You know, Some people want to be a star for 20 years in this dirty old rotten fallen world and, and be a little somebody in a dirty little hole like Hollywood and, and think that that's, boy, I've arrived. Oh boy, are you pathetic. No, how about being a real star? How about forever? How about a big picture? How about winning souls? Somebody say amen. Maybe you don't like this type of preaching. I don't know. But let me tell you, it's what the Bible says. Somebody say amen. It's what the Bible says. It's not Pastor Bill's idea. It's what Almighty God says. See, when we, when we look into the Bible, you know, our coming to church... And our, and our thinking and, and, and the way we live our life and all these things. There, there's a wonderful scripture. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, Look not to the seen, but to the unseen. Look not to the seen, but to the unseen. Look not to the temporal, but look to the eternal. Any of you ever looked to the eternal? When was the last time you looked to the eternal? When was the last time you really thought and meditated about the eternal? When was the last time you really thought about the unseen world? When was the last time you thought about the angels of God? You thought about the eternal city. You you thought about the new heavens and the new earth and the complete, utter, and absolute destruction of this world by fire that it talks about in 2 Peter. When was the last time you actually thought about those unseen things? When was the last time you set your affections on things above and not things below? When was the last time you obeyed the Bible in those things? When was the last time that you realized that God wants us to be otherworldly minded? We're foreigners in a, we're strangers in a foreign land. We're pilgrims just passing through, the Bible says. 
Oh, these type of sermons aren't going to sell. In the pop culture today, the Christological-centered sermons amount to less than 2% of what's sold because they don't sell. But the self-improvement sermons are 98% of what sells today in the pop culture market. And it says in the last days that the church will completely apostate and turn from God. I don't know about you, but I want to just be, I think that we should stick with the main vision. Amen? I think we need to make the main stuff the main stuff. I think we ought to major in the majors and not major in the minors. I think that's what God wants us to do. I think that's an important thing. You see, the purpose of church, when we really look at it, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, the prayer board, which we're going to do here in just a little bit, that, that's, re- that's really just a tool for facilitating the greater vision and to do what the big picture is. You know, it, uh, when we go to church, a church service is really for three things, a way for us to build ourselves up. How many of you know they that be planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God? Church is a place where you come to get built up. Can I get an amen? amen. Everybody should be getting built up at church. And then in Ephesians 4, it says, God has sent the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Number two, we should be coming to church to be equipped for the work of the ministry. Amen? I mean, why else would you be coming to church? I mean, we come to get built up with the word for our own personal needs, and we have personal needs, and we, we want our own best life. And I, and I believe that I'm having my best life when I'm following God the best way I know how. That's how you have your best life. And, and I believe that, and I need to be built up in that, and I need to hear encouraging messages, and I need to be inspired, and I need to be fed the word and all those things, and I understand all that. But that's, that's, a, that's a babyhood need, but it, we even have it as adults, but, but, but if it stops there, it's babyhood. And then we need to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. So we come to church to be equipped by the ministry gift. When the preacher is in the pulpit, he's the one that's equipping you. I equip you. I've been in the pew. And now I'm in the pulpit. You've only been in the pew. You've never been in the pulpit. Let me tell you something. There's a world of difference. And that's not arrogance. That's just a a statement of fact that there are people in our lives. And I know people that are my feeders, that are my equippers, that are far beyond me. And I'm not so arrogant to be bothered by that. I gladly submit to them and say, teach me. I need to learn more. Can I get an amen? A wise man loves instruction. A fool hates it. Sharpen me, baby. Sharpen me. Let's be iron, let's sharpen each other. Let's get sharp. Let's quit being dull. So I'm gladly wanting to be equipped better. I go to conferences. I go sit under more mature pastors. I have great and long conversations with pastors that are far more mature and and further along in the faith than me. I read after them and, and read articles and look to them to be sharpened by them, to be equipped by those who are further along than me, to be under those who are called to be over my life and to oversee me. I look to them. I ask them questions. They teach me things. I follow after them. I want to learn the things that God wants to equip me for in my life. That should be everybody's attitude. Because to not do that is really a, a subtle form of arrogance. We all need that. Your children should be equipped by you parents for life. Equipping is so important. And thirdly, we need to be in church for prayer, to pray for labors, you know, and to be sent out. And, you know, we, we get ready to be sent out. You know, they prayed, and then they sent Paul and, and uh, Barnabas out. 
We should have the whole intention of I'm going to church, not to sit there and hear sermons, not to like the music, not just to worship God, even though we do all those things. But I go into the church to be built up, to be equipped, to pray, so that I can be sent out from the church to go out and do three things. Those three things I want to talk about before we go to the board. And the three things that God calls us to come into the church to be built up, to be equipped for, and to pray to be sent out, because that's what they did in Acts 13. That's what Jesus was referring to in Matthew 9 and 38, 37 and 38, is that we need to be ready to go into the church for the express purpose to be sent out from the church. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Preaching isn't just speaking, it's also demonstrating the good news. Can I get an amen? amen? And then Luke 14, after we're sent out, compel them to come in to my house, into the Father's house. Luke 14, 23, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come into the Father's house, that the Father's house might be full. And then Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, and teach them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you. And, of course, the command is love, ultimately, but, but love is expressed in many, many ways. But then we're to teach them to observe to do. Oh, no, Pastor Bill, that says we're to teach them to sit back and listen and enjoy the message and never get around to doing it. No, 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 no. Teach them to observe for this express purpose to do. Teach them to observe to do the commandments that I've commanded you. So, once we come into the church, we get built up. We get equipped. We get prayed up. And then when we go out from the church, we get sent out. We compel them to come in. And then we teach them to obey the word of God and to obey all the commandments. That's that great commission scripture in Matthew, to go into all the world and then baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the commandments that I have commanded you. Amen. See, it isn't good enough just to get them saved. Then you've got to get them in church. Then you've got to teach them to be doers of the word, to observe, to do all the commandments that I have given you. Yes. See, it isn't just this, I come to church a couple times a month, and, you know, I've punched and I've punched out. I've done my religious Christian duty, but the Bible clearly teaches these things. And we need to involve ourselves in this lifestyle. Amen. Let's stand up. Today, I'm going to ask you to have two people, two or three people. As we close, I'm going to have somebody bring the board out. J.D., why don't you grab the board and bring it out center stage here. We're going to just prepare our heart to do. We get taught. We get built up, we get equipped, we pray, and now we're going to orchestrate in a very clear and easy fashion a way to do, and grab those markers out of that top drawer too. And, and t- today I want us to take a little bit of time. I've got some people in mind, and we're going to start praying that we will go to the people. We're not just going to pray for the people anymore, but we're going to start praying that we'll be laborers, and we're going to pray that we will begin to go to those people that we believe God has for us to lead to the Lord. Well, I'm not very good at soul winning, Pastor Bill. Well, anybody, anybody can invite somebody to church, amen? Let me do the soul winning. 
or let me do the, the salvation message. And you win their soul just by influencing them. Is, is it all right if we, if we do the gospel this morning? Amen. Is it all right if we obey the, the Bible this morning? How many, how many uh, anybody who doesn't want to obey the gospel, obey the word of God, sit down. Anybody who doesn't want to obey the word of God, go ahead and sit down. Now, Jeremy's sitting down because he can't get up. If you don't want to obey the word of God, sit down. But if you want to obey the word of God this morning, come down to the front. And we're going to write down some names. And we're going to believe for some people.